Like I think so many of us know what it's like to follow our heart only to experience pain and heartache along the way, don't we? Like we know what it's like to, to, just, to just do what our heart wants. And so many of us have stories in this room of where that has taken us, where that has left us. And I think that, that, that this is, is kind, of, kind of the important idea here. Uh, again, if you're taking notes, I think that our heart is not to be followed as much as it needs to be led. Like the heart wasn't intended to lead us, we were intended to lead our heart. And this is the reality of how you really work. This is the reality of how your heart works. Because we all know what it's like to follow our heart, only to let it lead us forward into a dead end with relationships or uh, a declared major or a career path of some sort or an investment. And each decision we made along the way, our heart felt like this was the right way to go. Like surely this is the right way. There's no way this could be the wrong decision. And I find it very interesting how many times we have had complete peace in our hearts over the wrong decision. Well, hey, we're in week three of a teaching series called Not True, where we have been uh, looking at uh, uh, you know, some, some very common Christian cliches to really try to find out what the Bible says about them. Um, any any uh, uh, Princess Bride fans? In the, the cult movie, Princess Bride? All right, there's a scene in the movie, uh, Vicini, right? He's the uh, kind of the genius or the, the, the super smart guy. And uh, you remember when they're, they're, some of you might remember, they're climbing the, uh, the cliffs of insanity. And, on, and uh, the Spaniard and Vicini, they are on the backs of the giant as he's, as he's uh, pulling them up. Uh, and, and they look down, and the man in the black mask is catching them, uh, catching up to them. And, uh, and Vicini keeps saying this one word throughout the movie. Do you remember what it is? Inconceivable. So they get to the top of the cliffs of insanity, and they look down, and, and he sees this, this man in the black mask, like, gaining on them. And he says, inconceivable. And what does the Spaniard say? He says, you keep, uh, you keep using that word. I do not think it means what you think it means, right? <laughs> and this is exactly what this series is about, right? Like, I think there are so many statements and phrases we say and we repeat, and uh, I, I do not think they mean what we think they mean sometimes. And so, um, you look, this series is really built on this idea that it seems like there are so many people, both in the church and outside the church, who have beliefs and ways of thinking that are often held to, together by some short, catchy, sticky, short, uh, fortune cookie type statements that are essentially uh, superstitious beliefs. So statements that we believe and we repeat over and over and over again, really in an effort to try to make sense of life. You know, they, they're, they're strangely comforting to us. And, you know, when we say these statements, uh, it's often when we feel like, uh, we should say something, but we don't know what to say. So we feel like we should comfort someone, or we need to explain something, or give a piece of advice, and that's when we usually say these very familiar statements like, hey, man, everything happens for a reason, you know? Or, hey, don't forget, man, only God can judge you. Only God can judge me. Or, hey, just follow your heart. You're gonna be all right. Just follow your heart. Do, do whatever you think is right. Or things like, hey, hey man, like all sin is basically the same. Don't you know that? Like sin is sin is sin, right? Like that, that's what people say. Or hey, I know you're going through a hardship right now, but don't forget that God will never give you more than you can handle, right? We say these statements over and over and over again. We repeat them, we post them, we pass them along. 
uh, we, we, we share like, like on Instagram or wherever, like, like the, the different memes or posts or whatever that are, that are, that are developed to, to perpetuate this way of thinking. And, and uh, they're strangely comforting to us because they, they kind of are statements that, that, that it in some ways just explain how life works. And I think because they're so popular, so prevalent, so familiar, we start to assume that these are things Jesus said. These are things that are in the Bible. And so the question in this series that, that, that we want to ask is like, what if some of these statements that we so often repeat are actually based on a misunderstanding? What if Jesus never said that, and what if they're not true? Right? Those are things we should ask. Those are things we should look at. And so in this series, what we've been doing is just looking at a handful of these you know, very familiar Christian cliches. And this is a series that could probably be, you know, 80 weeks long if we wanted, because there's so many, like, and, I, and I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And uh, we just don't have the time, right? And, and so what I've tried to do is just sort of pick some of the most familiar ones that have big thoughts around them, so we can try to dig in and see what the Bible actually says about these things. So two weeks ago, we looked at the phrase, everything happens for a reason, and what we found out was that this is, a, uh, uh, this is, an, uh, is not an idea that, that comes from God as much as it's an idea that comes from Marilyn Monroe, right? <laughs> like, interesting. Uh, week two, last week, we found out, uh, we, as we looked into this phrase, that only God can judge me, that it's not so much an idea that comes from God as it is an idea that comes from Tupac, right? Like, interesting, interesting. And this week, what I want us to do is I want us to dig into what I think is the most common advice that is given out uh, in our world uh, today, and that is this, if you're taking notes, to just follow your heart. Just follow your heart. How many of you have ever given uh, this advice out? Anybody ever given this advice to somebody? Hey, man, don't, dude, just, just follow your heart. Anybody ever given you this advice? Right? You ever been given this advice? Sounds very Disney, doesn't it? Just follow your heart. What this phrase essentially means is this. It's like, hey, when you're at a crossroads in life, when you don't know what to do, when you're facing challenges, when you're having to choose between options, when you don't know the best way forward, you know what you need to do? You just need to follow your heart. You just need to follow your heart. It's a common phrase that people say. So common, in fact, that there are several spinoffs to this phrase, several different iterations to this phrase, just follow your heart. How about these? Hey, man, do whatever makes you happy. Or, you know, if there's something you really want, don't let anything stop you. Or if it feels good, go for it. Or how about just be true to yourself. Or perhaps the most often used one we hear these days is, hey, you do you. Just follow your heart. You do you. Just follow your heart. And on the surface, the statement sounds pretty good. Like it sounds uplifting and it sounds positive. Like, you know, you know yourself best. Just do you. This idea, you know, uh, that, hey, if you're, if you're miserable and feel trapped in a certain situation or relationship or career, or if you got into something without really knowing what you're getting yourself into, maybe you felt forced into it even, you know, this idea that, that if you aren't really happy and you look in the mirror and you don't really recognize yourself any longer, you feel stifled, you feel stuck, you feel empty. Look, nobody wants to feel this way. And so if the solution for you to avoid living this way is to just follow your heart, then great, man, go for it, right? Go for it. But the question we want to ask ourselves as we dig deeper into this phrase is this, if you're taking notes, is following your heart really the solution? Is following your heart really the solution? Is this the best advice? 
do the people who choose to follow their heart end up living more fulfilling, more satisfying lives than those who don't? Because that actually happens. Like, and why does this phrase sound right? Like when you hear it at first, why does it sound right? Why is this phrase such a common phrase in our culture? Where did it come from? How did it get popularized? And why do we seem to have this phrase on the tip of our tongue all the time? Just follow your heart. I want to show you a quote from someone who I think helped popularize this way of thinking. Steve Jobs in 2005 said this. He said, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. Now, Steve Jobs famously said these words during a commencement speech at Stanford University in 2005. And you can go back and you can watch this speech online. I've, I've been a, a pretty big fan of Steve Jobs, um, um, you know, for, for a while. And, I, and, and I've watched this speech, and it's pretty inspirational in some parts. And, you know, of course, Stanford asks him to speak at their commencement ceremony because, you know, Steve Jobs was enormously successful, especially in, in, in a lot of the ways our country and our culture evaluates success. But, but here's the problem I have, and, and yeah, let's leave that up there for a minute. Here's the problem that I have. When I stare at this quote, I look at it and I stare at it like, like I'm, I'm kind of torn. It feels a bit confusing to me because there's, a par, there's parts of it that I think are actually pretty great. Especially the first line, right, where he says, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Like, that's great advice, isn't it? Like, it's an incredible statement. It sounds like it could be from the book of Proverbs almost, right? Like, like this idea that our days are numbered and we don't want to waste our existence. Like, that's really good advice to give to students who are graduating and really, in, in many ways, beginning their life. But in my opinion, as I look at this quote, it starts to fall apart from there. Like the further it, you, know, you read into it, it starts to, to kind of fall apart. Uh, the statements that come next uh, cause some confusion to set in. Like I, I was reading it and, and this internal radar goes off and I'm like, wait, 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 wait. Is that right? Like what, what he just said, is that accurate? Like, because it starts out very believable for me, stuff that I like, and then I'm like, whoa. Like is my heart really an intuition? Is it truly the most reliable and trustworthy source to build my decision-making in life upon? Like, is it really that? And so I, I want you to catch this thought, because I think, I think this is what people mean when they say, just follow your heart. I think that when people say, just follow your heart, the assumption is that your heart is an infallible internal guide that will never lead you astray. That it's a pre-programmed gut-level GPS that will always point you in the right direction, never get you lost, alert you when you're about to make a bad decision and fill you with peace and joy when you're on, the right, on track and following your unique path. This is what people think when they say, hey, just follow your heart. And it sounds amazing, doesn't it? Like, this sounds great. Like, even though it's not true, it sounds awesome. I think this is what a lot of us find ourselves buying into, uh, whether we're doing this consciously or not. But if you, if you really think about this, if you really think about this idea, you really evaluate this belief, I think that you already know that this is not true, right? 
you know that this is not the way life works. Like, I think so many of us know what it's like to follow our heart only to experience pain and heartache along the way, don't we? Like, we know what it's like to, to, just, to just do what our heart wants. And so many of us have stories in this room of where that has taken us, where that has left us. And I think that, that, that this is, is kind, of, kind of the important idea here. Uh, again, if you're taking notes, I think that our heart is not to be followed as much as it needs to be led. Like the heart wasn't intended to lead us. We were intended to lead our heart. And this is the reality of how you really work. This is the reality of how your heart works. Because we all know what it's like to follow our heart, only to let it lead us forward into a dead end with relationships or uh, a declared major or a career path of some sort or an investment. And each decision we made along the way, our heart felt like this was the right way to go. Like, surely this is the right way. There's no way this could be the wrong decision. And I find it very interesting how many times we have had complete peace in our hearts over the wrong decision. You're like, have, you, have you noticed that? As you look back, you're like, man, I felt so good about that decision. There was like no check in my spirit. There was nothing that made me think this was wrong. And I'm like, how could I have been so stupid? Right? On the other side of that, it's interesting how, how, um, how much we can feel crippling anxiety sometimes over doing the, like, like the right thing. Like, I don't know, like, I can, is that really what God wants me to do? I'm not sure. Like, and so um, what I want to do before we go forward, I want to back up for a minute, and I, and I want us just to define what we're talking about. Like, what do we mean when we say the heart? Like, what does that actually mean? Because obviously we're not talking about the actual organ beating in your chest, Right? Like, that's not what we're talking about. When we say heart, we're using it as a metaphor for something. So what is it? What is the metaphor? Okay, so in in Greek and Hebrew thought, which is kind of critical because the Bible was written in, in, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament was written in Greek. So Greek and Hebrew thought, the heart was understood as this, as the epicenter of your intuition, impulses, and emotions. And this is largely how we still understand the heart today when we use it in that sort of metaphorical Sense. And so I want to apply this understanding of the heart from Greek and Hebrew thought and even current thought to this phrase that we're digging into today. And uh, it basically means this, again, if you're taking notes, to follow your heart is to allow your intuition, impulses, and emotions to steer your life. And then, and then a really important question at the end, is this the best idea? Is this the best idea? Now, if you're a thinking person, you have to be asking yourself, right, is this, is this really the best idea that we have? Like, is this, is this really the best option to just follow our heart, or our intuition, impulses, and emotions, really what we want to rely on in life? Is that really how we want to build our life upon? I don't know about you, but, like, I look at my life, and my emotions can be all over the place at different times, right? Like, like what, uh, you know, I think that, you know, I, like, you look at my life, I can be up and down, I can be, like, happy, sad, angry, you know, whatever, all in the same day, like it's just, it's just crazy. So much of my emotional state depends on what's happening around me circumstantially, it seems like sometimes. But even more than that, it seems like so much of my emotions and my emotional state depends on like what I ate today or, or like, right? Or, or, or how much I ate or like if I ate, right? Like, or how much sleep I got. Like it's just crazy. Like I'm up and down or you know, how much the person who's telling me what to do right now at this moment reminds me of my dad. It's like, stop. 
stop telling me what to do, you know? Or my former boss, right, or somebody like that. And so it's just like, it's just, it's just amazing how we are up and we are down. We're all over the place. And yet these are supposed to be the, this, these emotions are supposed to be the things that lead our life. And so what I want to do is I want to look at Scripture because there's so much thinking in Scripture, so much thought in Scripture about the heart. Both the, both the Old Testament and the New Testament have lots to say, and most of it um, isn't so great. Jeremiah 17, 9 in the Old Testament, prophet Jeremiah writes these words from God. He says, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? Who really knows how bad it is? Right? What Jeremiah is saying here is he's saying, hey, look, like your intention, your impulses, your emotions are often darkly self-centered, right? And that's why he tells us that our heart will often lie to us. Like oftentimes what you're feeling in your heart is a lie. It's not truth. Like think about this. Have you ever, have you ever done something? Has something ever, you ever made a decision that you were surprised by? You ever done something you're like, man, like that, that doesn't, that's not me. Like I can't believe I just did that. And, and uh, like you ever had a moment where like it seems like, like something, like some darkness just kind of leaked out of you and you're like, what is going on? I didn't know that was in there. Well, well, Jeremiah says this. He says, who really knows how bad the heart is? Like, who really knows? Like, there's stuff in there that, like, shouldn't be in there, right? And it leaks out from time to time. And so, and so catch the thought. If you're, if, you're getting, if you're taking notes, like, your heart is very good at lying to you about what you really want and why you want it. So good, in fact, that you often end up buying into the lie because it feels like it's coming from within, from a place you should be able to trust, Right? But can we? Like, what does all this mean? What does the heart really want? And why is it something we need to be careful of? In 1992, there was a journalist by the name of Walter Isaacson, incredible journalist. Um, maybe you've read some of his, his articles or, or books that he's written, uh, premier interviewer and biographer. Uh, he actually, he wrote like a really thick book. It's in my office on Steve Jobs. Like, great uh, uh, journalist, but in 92, he interviewed Woody Allen for Time Magazine, and the subject of the interview was Allen's infamous affair with Soon Yi Previn. You may know the story, but uh, for those of you who don't know, or maybe it was before your time, Allen was in a relationship for years with a woman by the name of Mia Farrow. She was a well-known model and actress at the time, and Mia Farrow, uh, again, Allen's girlfriend, she adopted Soon Yi as a little seven-year-old girl from South Korea. She then went on to adopt a few more children from D Vietnam. She was kind of like the original Angelina Jolie, right? Like, really. Um, eventually, Mia Farrow and Woody Allen, they're, they're, they're dating. They're not married, but they would eventually have a son together, okay? And um, more than 15 years go by, and Mia Farrow discovers that Woody Allen is having an affair with her oldest adopted daughter, Soon Yi. Allen is 56 years old. Soon Yi is 21. So to be clear and to revisit the relational dynamic for a moment, right, Alan has been dating Soon Yi's mom for many years, and even though they weren't married, he, he was functionally her stepdad. And in this interview, which is a fascinating case study on the human condition, Isaacson, over and over again, he persistently tries to get Alan to admit some level of regret. 
to give some type of apology or even to acknowledge some, some level of like moral uncertainty uh, you know, for his actions. But Alan refused to admit that he'd done anything wrong. And at the very end of the interview, Isaacson asked Alan why he did it. Just tell us why. Alan paused, thought hard, and then he gave the iconic line that has floated around in our culture for a very long time. He said, the heart wants what it wants. The heart wants what it wants. Essentially saying here that the heart has a mind of its own. And that it's not something that we should ever deny, right? We should indulge the heart, not deny the heart. And it's interesting to me how this off-the-cuff saying has entered not only the, uh, the vernacular, but also the belief system of our entire generation. It's become a kind of self-perpetuating justification for anything from, you know, adultery to eating chocolate cake. It's like, it's, it's just, hey, the heart wants what it wants, a kind of get-out-of-jail-free card for any behavior that falls outside the lines of moral tradition. And yet few people really realize the origin story of this phrase, that the heart wants what it wants. And for the most part, let me show you what your heart is interested in. You can, you, you can just toss it up there. Yeah, so your heart really wants you to do whatever feels good. Okay, so Pleasure. Whatever feels good, just, just, just follow your heart. It wants you to do what feels familiar. So, so uh, you know, what's, whatever's predictable, it, it values that. Your heart wants you to do whatever feels interesting. So it wants novelty, it wants variety. Your heart wants you to do whatever feels validating. That's why, that's why we wear the clothes we wear, right? Most of the time, because we want to feel validated. Oh, man, that looks nice, right? We want validation, we want approval from people, your heart wants you to do whatever feels safe. It wants security, doesn't it? These are often the things that are driving our heart. And the problem is that these, these the problem with this list is that these aren't always bad things for us to want. Like, like it's not always bad for you to want pleasure. But how many of y'all know like, like being driven by pleasure can get out of hand pretty fast? Like it's not bad to want things to be somewhat predictable and, and, and calm and safe, but, but that can lead you to a point in life where you refuse to live by faith and all you do is trust yourself, right? Novelty can get out of hand, but it also can be okay to just to want to switch things up, want to have some variety. You know, uh, approval isn't necessarily wrong, but it can get out of hand fast where you're just living your life for the approval of everybody else around you. You don't even know who you are anymore. Security can be tough too because it's not wrong to want, you know, so much money in the bank and, and, and to be, be secure. But, man, I've known a lot of people who have a lot of money in the bank and they just want more. Like, because they don't, they don't they, regardless of what they have, they're never going to actually feel secure because their heart wants them to have more. And so I, I want to give you a few reasons why I think the heart is something we don't want to trust. Why I think the heart can lead us into um, difficulty. I want to give you uh, a few ideas for, for like why this creates like a danger uh, to all of us if we aren't aware of what's really going on. So number one reason is because what is good isn't always what feels good. It's a really big reason for why we don't just trust the heart. Because what feels good or what is good isn't always what feels good. And sometimes in order to do the right thing, or the good thing, 
the noble thing, we actually have to deny what our heart wants. I mean, think about, think about the good things in life that don't exactly feel good. Well, I mean, there's so many of them, right? Like, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, it does not feel good to go to the gym. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good thing for you. Like, I, there's, there's nothing. Yeah, I, I, you know, in the past, when I have decided to go to the gym, I, I have hated it. I have been like, what is wrong with me? Like, this is not good. But it doesn't mean that it's bad because it feels bad. It, 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 right? There's so many examples of this in life, like in relationships. Just because it doesn't feel good doesn't doesn't mean it's not the right thing to do. Number two, the reason why we don't want to just listen to our heart all the time is because emotions are often in conflict with one another. So when people say you just follow your heart, you know what I think? I think like, well, which part of my heart am I supposed to be following? Which part? Because my heart is, is typically telling me all sorts of things all the time. So which self am I supposed to be true to? It seems like there are, you know, often warring impulses. You ever, you ever felt that? And so which one do I follow? Like, which part of my heart do I follow or align with? I mean, think about being at the grocery store and checking out, you know, um, you know uh, as, as you're going through the, the, the checkout line. On one side, it's like, man, look at Ryan, Ryan Reynolds, right? You know, and, and look at, like, six ways to get Ryan Reynolds abs, you know? And you're like, Awesome. And then on the, other, on the other side, you're like, man, look at that candy bar. That's awesome. Like, I want that candy bar. So, like, which part of your heart should you follow? Like, which desire in your heart are you supposed to chase? Like, right? <laughs> they're, they're conflicting emotions here. Like, eh, I don't know. I don't know about Ryan Reynolds. That's just a little too good. Like, I think I'm going to go for the candy bar. Like, right? So, so which one are you supposed to chase? Which one are you supposed to follow? And then and here's the third one. Um, as soon as your heart gets what it wants, it wants more. This, this is the problem. You find out pretty quickly that once you have security, you want more of it. Like I said just a minute ago, I have a friend right now that I, I, I really, um, he's a great man and has plenty, but is always worried that he doesn't have enough. It's interesting, like as soon as your heart gets what it wants, it wants more. So as soon as you get approval from people, you want more of it. That feels good. I want more of that. As soon as you taste pleasure, you don't want to stop. The heart is never satisfied. It's the law of diminishing returns, isn't it? And this is why sometimes, you know, you can experience something for the first time, and it's great, but the next time, it doesn't wow you the same way. Like, you ever had just an incredible meal somewhere, and, and you're just like, wow, that's like the best thing I've ever had. You're like, and, and in your mind, you're like, I can't wait to get back and try that again, but you've played it up in your mind so much that by the time you go back, to have it, you're like, it's just it's a little bit of a letdown. You're like, I wasn't as great as I remembered. The law of diminishing returns, which then leads to escalation in our life. Because it's not quite what, we, what it once was. It, do, it doesn't hit us quite like it once did, and so we want more. We gotta, we gotta escalate. Gotta try more. Let me just give you a, a clear thought on emotions here. Emotions aren't bad. We should be emotional people. But relying on them to lead, guide, and direct you is... It is. It's not good. Look what Jesus says about the heart. Matthew 15, he's speaking to his disciples. He's just been uh, explaining uh, some things to them, telling a parable 
And uh, they want him to, to, to really, really explain what it means. And he says this. He says, are you still so dull? Don't you love Jesus? Like, don't you see that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and then out of the body? But the things that come out of the mouth come from the heart, and these make a man unclean. Look at 19. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, and slander. That come out of the heart. I mean, th- think about that, that for a second. Now, imagine, let's just imagine for a moment that, that your heart isn't this, this thing you know, within you, imagine your heart as a person. Like, imagine it like, like your heart is a human being, a person, and then you, you, you have someone, a friend of yours, introducing you to this person with this resume. Here's my friend, gives some pretty good advice, like, right, lots of evil thoughts, uh, you know, like encourages people to murder, commit adultery, yeah, all those things, you know, like steal, really great friend, like listen to him. Like, you know, would you ever, ever consider following this person? Of course not, right? And yet, this is what we do all the time. All the time. And I think that what's interesting about this is that ever since the beginning of time, this is what people have been prone to do, to follow their heart. It's been happening as far back as the book of Genesis, right? The Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter three tells the story of a man and a woman, humanity's original couple, Adam and Eve, and they, they live in the Garden of Eden. They are to rule and have dominion over all of creation. But in the garden, there is one rule they must follow, right? They cannot eat from the, the fruit, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's one restriction. And yet even though they can enjoy everything but this one tree, Eve's heart pulls her towards the one thing she's not supposed to do. It's interesting. You know that I've noticed this like about me my whole life? Almost, like every time I've been told like I can't, I want it. It's interesting. Like I don't like to be told no. And as a kid, you know, there's like a little bit of a rebellious streak. It's like, oh, watch me. You know, like I can't have that. Like, I'll sh- you know, I'll show you. So it's interesting how that how like we we are, we are are really wired that way it seems like the moment for eve here is outlined in the book of genesis in this calm conversation she has with the serpent and i and i think this this story is pretty uh interesting to me and i think that Again, if you're taking notes, that the reason why we, we can often be coerced into things that aren't good for us is because our heart wants what it cannot have or should not have. And similar to Eve, um, if you think about the story, this dynamic, this conversation with the serpent, like similar to her, like we aren't like yelled at until we finally give in. Like you're so dumb, you're so stupid, like just do it already. Rather, it's more of like a cool, calm conversation where the bad thing is sort of reframed into a way that feels enticing. Like, oh, I didn't think about it like that. That's interesting. Because remember, at first, Eve says, no. Like, we cannot eat from that tree, because if we do, we're gonna die. But in Genesis 3, 4 through 6, this this is how the serpent replies. He says, you won't die. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you'll be like God, knowing both good and evil. It says in verse six that the woman was convinced. 
She saw that the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. It's interesting to me in the story how all of the things that light her up about this fruit are all things that the heart wants. It looks beautiful, it looks delicious, right? I wanna get wisdom, I wanna feel like I'm in control, like I'm a God. All things that our heart has an incredible ability to draw us towards. Now one of the interesting things about this story is that Eve is not a proper Hebrew name. I don't know if you knew that. Eve literally means life, translated as life. Adam is also not a proper Hebrew name. Adam literally means human. This is why nobody else in the Old Testament has the name Adam and Eve, because no one was naming their kids life and human, right? Like, odd. Why would you do that? So what makes this so significant, understanding what their names mean, is that the story of Adam and Eve is essentially a story of how life and humans got off track. Okay? It's a story about how life and humans got from where they originated to where they are right now. In other words, like this is not just a story about them back then, it's also a story about us now. The story of the garden is a sort of cyclical story about the ways in which we too self-sabotage. And what we see here is something that I think we all have experienced. You ever had a moment in your life where you were like, man, I don't know that this is right. I don't know that this is good or noble or godly. I don't even think this is the kind of person I want to be. But at the same time, my heart seems to be pulling me in that direction. You ever had that? I feel conflicted. I don't know what to do. And if you wait long enough, you're going to hear that familiar voice. Come on, man. Just follow your heart. You got this. You know what's best for you. You don't need to believe in God. Just believe in yourself. And it's the classic Garden of Eden tactic. It's a story, a tale as old as time, right? But what did Jeremiah say again? He said that the heart is the most deceitful thing and it's tricked all of us at different times. And this is why God says this, very, very important in Ezekiel 36, 26. This is why God says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart, from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. This is huge. It's amazing. This is a piece of poetry that's wrapped in metaphor. But you, you, you get it, right? You understand what's really going on here. God is, is saying, our relationship is now at a place where you have shut off my voice in your life and what I've told you is best, and you've decided to just follow your heart so many different times for so long that this way of living has become a habit in your life. And over time, it's turned your heart into stone, making your heart unreceptive to what I say is good and evil, to what I say is right and wrong. And so God is saying, you need more than just a rejuvenated heart. You need a new heart. You need a heart transplant. And I wanna put my heart into your chest. This is the gospel, right? This is, the, this, is, this is what Jesus has come to do, to change our heart. And so the, the question that I think a lot of people get hung up on is this right here. Well, then if, if God gives us a new heart, why can't we trust that heart? 
right? Why can't I, why can't I trust? Like, if, if, I'm re, if I've really died, like, like you know, um, a spiritual death, you know, if I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me and I've been given a new heart, this heart of stone's been taken out, I've been given a heart of flesh, why can't I trust this new heart if God has placed his heart inside of my chest? Well, so to keep the metaphor going, I think that in, in, you know, in, in a physical, actual heart transplant procedure, there can be a complication that can arise that's called graft versus host, and it's where you place a new organ into somebody's body and the body rejects the new organ. You ever, you heard of that probably. The body essentially rebels against the newly graft organ. So the, so the body, what it does is it recognizes the new organ as something foreign uh, that should not be in there and begins to attack it, tries to kill it. Ironically, the body is trying to, des- to destroy the very thing that is there to save you. It's really an interesting thing. And I think this is a similar picture of what can happen to us on a spiritual level as well because, you know, like there's that time when we come to Jesus and we invite him to be our Lord and Savior and we build our lives around him. And yet even though we're following Jesus, we find ourselves still drawn in different directions that we know are not good and that we know are not godly. And it's almost like all of these habits and ways of being beforehand are waging war on the new heart that God has placed inside of you. A battle we're gonna fight until we die. Allowing our hearts to be led by God is a process. It's a, it's, it's, it's a daily practice, and it's much more in, in line with, with how we ought to live our lives. There is a battle our heart is facing every day. There are desires that we wish we didn't have, but we do. There is still a a flesh, sinful nature that is not 100% redeemed this side of heaven. There is still temptation. There are still things that wanna pull us away in directions we should not go. And if we live our lives just solely to, to follow our heart, I'm afraid that our heart will take us to places we never, ever should have been, which is why Solomon writes this in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. He says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. So in other words, what he's saying is submit to the Lord. Submit your impulses, your emotions, your desires, everything that you're feeling. Submit those to God. Don't trust your heart. Don't trust your own understanding is what Solomon is saying. And he's an interesting guy because because, um, he writes this also in Ecclesiastes 2. The Bible talks about him as, as, as the wisest man who ever lived. And he writes this in Ecclesiastes. He says this. He says, I denied myself, uh, I decide, I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. My heart took delight in all my work, and this was the reward for all my labor. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, Everything was meaningless. A chasing after the wind, nothing was gained under the sun. You know, if you look into Solomon's life, what you find out is that he's not lying. If you look at Solomon's life, you find out that he's telling the truth because any imaginable pleasure you could chase down, he's tried it, he did it. Any impulse the heart could have, this guy went after it to an excess that would embarrass Vegas. I mean, truly, just wild. Like, things that you kind of want to, like, skip 
because <laughs> it makes you so uncomfortable. Like, this is, I wasn't ready for this with my morning coffee, you know? Like, ah, <laughs> uh, I need to take a shower. Like, it's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy that some of the stuff that he did, right? And yet, it says that Solomon comes to, towards the end of his life, and he admits that everything that he chased was meaningless, meaning that none of it worked. All the things that he let his heart go after, it didn't work. It didn't really satisfy. And the interesting thing about Solomon's story is that it's not just his story. Right? It's our story too. We all know people who this is, this is essentially their existence as well. Like, it looks like they're, having, they're the ones that get to have all the fun. They're the ones that get to go do all that stuff that your heart would love to do too. But then, like, maybe it's a friend of yours or a family member, they sit down with you one night and, and talk, you talk to them and, they, and they, they start to tell you about how miserable they really are. Right? They're like, man, I've done all this. It looked like I was having fun, but man, at the end of the day, like, all of it was meaningless. And I think that what Solomon is saying, and I think that what so many people would say too, is that by following my heart, I've collected a lot of pleasure, but not a lot of happiness. Following your heart can certainly lead to plenty of pleasure, which is fun for a while, but it doesn't lead to joy. It doesn't lead to happiness. You guys can go ahead and come on up. So then what do we do here? Because I've just spent like the whole morning just basically telling you, hey, don't follow your heart. So what do you do? What do I do? I would say this, like don't follow your heart. Instead, follow Jesus by deciding to only do what Jesus would do if he were you. Don't follow your heart. Like, like if you think about like the, the teachings in the gospels, like it's not about like giving into your heart. It's about denying, really. Like Jesus says this, right? In Luke, I think it's Luke 23. I, I, or or uh, yeah, it's somewhere. It's either in chapter 17 or 23, but whatever. Uh, you know, that if anyone would come after me, if anyone wants to follow me, he has to do what? He has to deny himself daily take up his cross and, and follow me. He's saying, look, like, like following me isn't gonna feel good all the time. In fact, to follow me requires a self-denial. It requires that you don't just give in and indulge in everything your heart desires. He, say, he says, in fact, there is a denial that has to happen to follow me. And on top of that, there's a big old cross you gotta pick up because, because to follow Jesus is to follow him to crucifixion. It's to follow him to a place in which you die with him. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't die to take your place. Okay? I'm gonna, it's gonna, this is gonna blow some of your minds, right? You didn't just, you didn't die to take your place. Jesus died with this understanding that you would do the very same thing alongside him. It's, it's, it's his example is, is the model of how we're expected to live our life as followers of Jesus. We go to the cross too. We don't, we don't bypass the cross. We go to the cross. We take our lives. Paul says, like, I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. Christ lives in me. Like, right? This is, this is the Christian way. And so we aren't people who just follow our heart. We are people who follow Jesus. And oftentimes following Jesus does not feel good. In fact, it feels like 
Like, man, why does everybody else get to do this stuff and I don't? It doesn't always feel good. Following Jesus is often in conflict with what our emotions want. So we give ourselves, like we deny ourselves. We take up our cross and we follow the way of Jesus. And I think that if you follow Jesus instead of your heart, you will follow him into the life you were meant to live, the life that you and I are desperate for. We may not even realize it. A life that's not obsessed with what feels good and chasing pleasure. A life in which you and I refuse to enthrone ourselves as the ultimate authority of our life. A life that is instead under authority. A life that submits itself, that doesn't trust in its own understanding, that relies and gives its heart to God. And John writes this. In his gospel, he says, this is the life that is truly life. The life that is truly life. And everybody else, when they follow their heart, it looks like they're living, but they're not. Wide is the path that leads to destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to life. And what does Jesus say? Few will find it. And so, are you someone who needs some courage today in a culture telling you to follow your heart. You need some courage to instead follow Jesus. Would you stand? Hmm. Would you bow your heads just for a moment as we uh, close our time together? If you're here today and, uh, man, through this whole message, you just know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you and you're here today and you need some courage. You need to get some fight back, some courage. Stop just following your heart, but today's a day where it's like, I need, to, I need to get back on track. I need to follow Jesus instead of just what my heart wants. And you just know that's you. There's some things you've been chasing. There's some, some things related to like your heart's pursuits that just aren't healthy and, and it needs to stop and it's time to get back on track with following Jesus. Could I just, can I just see your hand if that's you? Could I just encourage you with some prayer? Come on. Today's the day, right? Why, why, why wait another day? Today's the day. And so Holy Spirit, would you just come into this place? I pray for an increase of courage in this room. Courage to say no to things that our heart so wants. God's strength to be able to resist. I'm reminded in Hebrews that tells us that you have not resisted in your struggle against sin. You have not resisted yet to the point of shedding your blood. Like, so God, I pray that we would have some resistance in this room to the things that our heart just, just wants to chase and wants to go after that can be highly destructive. God, we don't wanna be Christians that just have sort of one foot into this, to this life and one foot out. We wanna be people that are all in on the way of Jesus. And so make us into the people you want us to be. God, highlight for us, reveal to us the things that need to go. I pray for you to just come along and do some cleansing of our heart, oh God. I'm reminded of David in Psalm 51. He says, create in me a clean heart. Create in me a pure heart, oh God. Renew a steadfast spirit within me. And so God, I pray that this morning for a cleansing of the heart. God, where there have been things in there that should not be there. And God, may you find out of this church, out of this group of people here this morning, a whole bunch of people rising up with a resolve to really deny the heart and to instead follow our King, to instead follow 
Jesus. So God, for every person who just raised their hand today, Lord, would you give them freedom? Would you just break the chain? God, would you just cause them now to just feel so much lighter as they walk out of here? And may you put in them, God, a clean heart, a heart of flesh, God. May you put into them a heart that has been radically affected here this morning and the resolve to walk differently as they leave here today. We love you, Lord. We love you, King Jesus. You're the best thing that's ever happened to me. You're the best thing that's ever happened to us. You are the greatest story in human history, God. I pray we would not uh, take that lightly, that we would, we would be careful with what we allow our, uh, ourselves to give our heart over towards. And we would be very, very mindful and careful to give our hearts instead over to you. We give you thanks today in Jesus' name. Amen.